0: Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson.
1: Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Stacy Harris, VP of Research at Sierra Cedar. Stacy, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Coming to you from a nice sunny day in North Carolina today. So.
1: All right. Well, thanks for joining me. Now, you've been doing research in the HR systems, HR technology space for a long time. And here we are at the end of April, and you're about to launch the HR systems research study for 23rd year. Is that right?
0: Correct. Yeah. So 23 years now, we've been running the annual HR systems survey, end up being the 23rd annual HR systems white paper launched in October of 2020 at the HR Technology Conference. Cross our fingers, we all get to go to it.
1: Yeah, cross our (laughs) fingers is right.
0: Yeah, but if not, it'll go to everybody virtually, so not a problem with that at all. Yeah, no, this is exciting because you were getting close to that 25th year, that sort of silver anniversary, but yeah, it's amazing to think that this research has been done for so long. Prior to me, many of you might know Lexi Martin, who ran it for 17 years, and I've run it now for the last six years, so really has become sort of a, a big part of my life I think like anybody else when you do something that long so
1: <laughs> well yeah on behalf of the broader community to the extent that I can represent them thank you for the work that you've done and Lexi uh, as well just because it really is a foundation of our discipline it's something that I look forward to every year I learn something every time I interact with you as well as the research so you know given where we are given the reality out there with COVID-19 let's just jump right in mm-hmm. what 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 are your thoughts heading into this survey? So based on the historical trends that you saw, what shift do you see coming into being or that you think will come into being?
0: Yeah, you know, this has been a difficult year. We really had to think twice. We're like, do we even send the survey out, right? Because it was scheduled to go out about two and a half weeks ago, almost three weeks ago now. And we had to step back and say, well, let's talk to our audience and see what they're doing. And we knew that that wasn't the right time because I think everybody was in a bit of a panic mode trying to to sort of deal with their own internal business requirements. But We've talked to a lot of organizations now, and yes, there's still a lot of people on the front lines who are battling the COVID and the challenges that are coming out of that issue, but from a research perspective, we have heard time and again that people are hungry for data to try and help them make decisions, right? we're at here in the United States, about 20% almost, right? Unemployment right now. And organizations are making really difficult decisions about, you know, skilled workers and, you know, who they're going to keep in the organization who may not be staying in the organization, what projects they can continue forward with, what things that do they absolutely need to continue forward with. And so we heard loud and clear that people wanted to take the survey still, but they wanted to make sure that it was asking the things that would add value in October, right? And so a lot of the stuff that we've been doing this year um, is really thinking about what type of data would help the organizations make those difficult decisions and what type of data has been helping them. So a lot of the new questions we added this year are around HR service delivery which is a big issue right now, you know, how are you reaching your employees? How are you communicating with them? What tools are you using to do that? Right. Anybody would have loved to have joined the stock market on zoom, I think (laughs) (laughs) in January and maybe have dropped it in February before, you know, the security issues. But I mean, every company has been trying to figure out what's the right tools to sort of really maximize the employee outreach and the employee service delivery. And they're also trying to figure out what they need to do to keep in touch with employees, maybe who they furloughed, right, which is a big conversation. We've been hearing a lot of organizations like, what am I allowed to do? Who am I allowed to touch base with? And they're also trying to figure out how do I deploy skilled workers who are in one area of my organization to another area, right, Healthcare. Facilities particularly are looking at redeployment capabilities and skills and certifications. So we're asking questions about what data people are leveraging through this crisis. We're asking them about what tools they're leveraging in this crisis. We're also asking them about what vendors have been the most helpful through this crisis as well, because one of the things that's really important to us is to be a voice of the customer and the community and we're also asking about what technology has been most valuable. So that's a lot of the new stuff that we've added but we're continuing to keep some of the things that we've done for years which is what's the user experience of your current HR environment, what's the vendor satisfaction you have in general with the technologies because even though this is a moment in time you've been with those vendors for you know several years there's there's some conversation there to have and what new tools are people picking up in the areas of analytics? and shared services and in the areas around workforce management and talent management and core HRMS. So still a big survey. I wish I could say that it was shorter, but it's not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, it's definitely a thorough survey. And yeah. that's what makes it so rich because there are narratives that emerge that inspire confidence to say, okay, this is the direction. This is likely where my organization can and should be focusing given the external environment, as well as what's happening within the HR systems area. With that in mind, the last 10 plus years, we've been in an economic boom in one form or another. And, you know, that a lot of energy has been in hiring and a lot of tools have emerged to help facilitate that. Obviously, we're in a different space right now. So what do you see happening with recruiting technologies relative to where other budget might be spent?
0: I think this is going to be a little different than, so like if you looked at like the 2008 economic downturn, recruiting technology just fizzled, right? Not only was it not being purchased, but people weren't leveraging it in a strategic way oftentimes because they hadn't really done a lot of um, enterprise implementations. There was still a lot of point solutions out in the market at that point in time, right? One of the things I think that's a little bit different this time around is that we're not just talking about the applicant tracking system or even a sort of job board system, right, which we would have had in 2008. Today, we're talking about a whole series of platform technologies, right? So, you've got your marketing outreach tool. You've got your candidate management system, right? You've got your video interviewing and your referral tools and maybe even your alumni, you know, software all connecting together right along with your applicant tracking systems. And so, I do think we will definitely see a pullback. There's no doubt. I mean, you're, you're definitely gonna see a pullback in the amount of activity on some level that people are, and it's probably a better way to put and the funding they're investing in those recruiting technologies. But in all honesty, you're actually going to see an increase in activity because more people are going to be, because there are more people out of work, are going to be applying. So those tools hmm. that are focused on background checks, like right now, investments are going to background check tools to tools that help you source the exact right candidate, right? If you're having like, hundreds of resumes come in, right? We're seeing organizations invest time and money in areas where They can keep touch with people that they have let go. We talked a little bit about that furlough communication, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of those are alumni tools, right? Someone's left your organization. You know you had to let them go. Maybe they're not furloughed. Maybe they're actually laid off. But you want to see where they're going to be at in a year because you're hoping by then your business will grow and you'll be able to bring them back. We're seeing some investment in those areas as well, right? So I do think it'll be a different type of downturn. It's not going to be exactly the same thing we saw in 2008, and people will be using analytics a lot more to decide which of those tools are gonna to be getting the best outcome, I would say. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I appreciate you throwing out some bait for me, but I'm not gonna take it <laughs> quite yet. <laughs> but what I will ask you is this around the actual decision making process by which to select these tools. Because and I'm just gonna throw out a way of thinking about it. If we go back to two thousand eight and that doubt turn, there was a functional set of tools that were there to stand up or create or improve a certain process hiring for example now we have arguably question or theme centric tools where hey gosh i have a redeployment challenge you know what tool can help me do that so that's kind of coming from a different angle which i believe that nuance can be valuable and i think you know again my own bias it's appropriate given where we are so then it it assumes that someone within HR, someone within operations, someone within IT actually is aware of yeah. the array of tools that can help facilitate answering and solving that problem. Yeah. So can you speak to what the like optimal decision making governance body, if you will, is here in 2020 in response to yeah. COVID-19 and beyond?
0: that's a tough one. Actually, I was just talking to someone uh, about this actually today. We're going to do a a webinar for IRUM tomorrow on HR system strategies. And the governance conversation is the one area where I still think we haven't quite gotten the answer right in HR technology yet, right? I think we have the plethora of tools. And I agree that they are now focused on specific outcomes we're trying to achieve in the organization, which is exactly what you were talking about. But my sense is, is that we haven't, created that visual of the technology map inside the organization very effectively, right? We have a lot of great tools that will figure out, you know, what your underlying usage is of your network and which areas, you know, you might be using a tool more often than another, right? But the actual like underlying data inside of them, right, we're not aware of all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think what this actual crisis will do for us, it's going to throw into relief something that no one has probably really thought about effectively, which is the role of data management in a Mm -hmm. way that we've never, I think, really thought about it. Because it's not just important to know what recruiting systems you have, right, and what data might be in that one recruiting system. It's really critical to understand, is that data update, updated? Is it clean? Is it um, integrated into something else? So, if I'm know, furloughing half my company and I have to abide by GDPR laws, right? And I have to pull all that data out of my system, right? Do I know every place where that employee data has been, right? And it's okay when I'm releasing two or three people, but when I'm releasing... 250 or 2,000 or 5,000, all of a sudden that becomes kind of a crazy process for HR. And I've literally talked to HR professionals who are literally in the last month going system by system, pulling data out of those systems, right? Or vice versa, they need to update skill sets and they're literally going system by system, asking people to fill out forms so they can update the systems that we have put in place and spent millions of dollars investing in. So I think the governance is going to be the piece that people are going to start to realize is broken right now. No matter how good the system is, if you don't have a good governance, you're not going to have the data you need,
1: right? Well, yeah, gosh, you, you <laughs> just like, <laughs> you make me go like that when you're sharing all that in a good way, because there's two key things out of that. And again, I'm going to own my own bias in this yeah. being a people analytics <laughs> professional is that so many organizations have had a technology-centric approach to yes. HR technology, meaning that I'm just gonna get this and I'm gonna try and make it work. And not taking a either a process centric or data centric or prioritizing the data. Like this is the data that I need. How am I gonna manage it ongoing so I can actually be flexible when you know, unforeseen occurrences like this come up, we can go down that rabbit hole really deep. But instead, what I'd like to do is go back to this you know decision-making process, because I agree, we haven't gotten it licked. Because my question goes back to you, to solve this problem, I see people analytics professionals in particular, but HR in general, elevated in prominence and priority in the conversation around what do we do in response to COVID-19? Now, for me, thinking two, three plus months ahead is how can we maintain the momentum that we have generated. Again, it's been just circumstantial. Yeah. But now, if we're not rising to the challenge on an ongoing basis, then we're going to miss an opportunity. And as you, I'm sure you have know, Josh Burson has been out there, McKinsey, yeah. Willis-Towers Watson, Mercer, been talking about the need for new management models for years. Yeah. And here we are, HR has this unique position to help create something new and have a, if not a people first, but certainly a people-centric organizational strategy. So you know, what would be your ideal you know, governance or visualization of the HR tech ecosystem? What has to change for you?
0: I think there's a couple of things that probably has to change. One is I think we have to acknowledge the strategic role of what we're generally seen as administrators, which is your HR IT professionals, right? And HR information management professional who has the ability to oversee the entire sort of matrix of HR technology is more than an administrator, right? And I think that's one thing that has to be sort of brought forward to the market is to understand that when we think about implementing all of these new technologies, there has to be a role that oversees them. I also think we have to have we're seeing this with GDPR. We're seeing this with the California laws. We're seeing this with a couple other laws that there will have to be someone inside of organizations who is responsible for data and its role, just as much as we see people responsible for finances and its role in the organization. And so I do think that we're going to see more chief data officers inside organizations and they need to be part of this conversation, right? Or at least someone whose role is to oversee that if they sit under finance or they sit under IT. I think, Chief information managers or CIOs are part of the governance model as well. But I also think that their domain is so broad that in many organizations, we leave the big decisions to them. And I think part of the new conversation is that if it's a Mm people-centric focus, then you have to have the functional leader, which is your HR professional, and the IT leader, which is your IT professional working hand in hand. And so I think that, again, brings out more of a conversation about the fact that this isn't a top-down conversation about security or a top-down conversation about systems that are needed across the organization, but this is more of a a services model where the IT group is taking in the needs of the market and they have to figure out how to meet their needs, right? And so from Hmm. my perspective, those governance models where a shared service center or an IT shared service function views HR as a customer or client, those work the best in the data that we're seeing in the outcome-driven environment. Because then HR is leading the direction of outcomes they're trying to achieve. In the situations where IT is the primary voice and HR is basically relegated to a place where they're putting in their, their requirements for functionality, that's when we end up with situations where systems don't talk to each other or we have rogue departments buying things. So I think the functionality has to be a governance group that's together with a service model where IT is seeing HR as much of a client as they see finance or marketing or anyone else in the organization.
1: I really like what you're sharing because just to play that back is effectively not only looking at HR as a customer, but the customers of HR, which would be the employees, the workers in general. So the better we can understand their current and future needs, the better we can prioritize not only the technology, but the process and underlying data that we in turn would be managing and using for analytical purposes. Is that right?
0: Exactly. And not to, you know, I think that's part of why the HR IT professional or HRIM professional has become so important because they play that middle road. They translate the employee requirements and the HR requirements into language that IT can understand. And when they're seeing, you know, probably one of the larger pharmaceutical organizations that I used to work with all the time, they had a business, so they had a role in IT that was specifically... A business partner to the HR organization and to the learning organization. So they had two separate roles who did those functions. And that particular role was focused solely on translating the needs and the outcomes that organization was trying to achieve into a technology solution architecture, right? And that worked really well. And I've seen it work well in small organizations as well. It's not just a big company model, right?
1: Yeah, you know, as we're talking and if I'm a listener, I'm like, well, duh, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that, you know, that should not only be happening, that should have been happening all those years. But just before we leave the topic, you know, why don't you think it's the norm, what we just described? It seems like a reasonable way, but you know, what's been the inhibitor from getting think, through where that process?
0: Yeah, I think some of it's turf wars. I, I mean, to be completely honest, right, there's challenges. And I think the CEO and the executive organizations have to alleviate that by focusing on what's important to the organization and making sure that the fundamentally that the IT and digitization isn't about just making the organization more technically savvy, but it's about actually achieving outcomes for the organization's goals, right? So I put that on the shoulders Mm -hmm. of the executives. But I also think that you know, to be completely honest, I think HR has to own some of this. I think HR oftentimes it's easier to fall back on the old ways of doing things, the compliance driven approach to HR, right? Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes we put ourselves in the corner because we are afraid that our data isn't quite clean enough, or because we're afraid that the insights that we're giving aren't as crisp and clear as what we're seeing in the finance side or because we're seeing that we maybe don't have all the tools at our fingertips that we would like to have to have a perfect answer, right? I think sometimes, you know, particularly for HR, you know, excellence is the enemy of good, right, in that situation. And so, and I think IT is very much, you have to understand the world they live in. It's very black and white. It's very centered around privacy and security and possible breaches. So what they want you to do is come with the best possible answer. don't always have to have the right answer, but the best possible answer for them, right? And I think sometimes we hold back because we're afraid that our answer isn't good enough. So I think those are the two biggest reasons when I talk to organizations, HR just isn't comfortable stepping up or there's turf wars going on and the executives aren't addressing it.
1: So, yeah, I hear you. And that, you know, for better or for worse, I agree. It's the case we haven't thought systematically. We're still siloed in our thinking around process, your yeah. recruiting, engagement, performance down the line, as opposed to a holistic employee experience, which goes into the question that I want to ask you around employee experience and People analytics, because, you know, you can take it wherever you want, because people analytics, the use of data, we just touched on it, but really, you know, seeing people analytics as a discrete capability requiring discrete tools sometimes, and employee experience has gained a lot of press, rightly so, over the last few years, and I see them personally coming closer together because employee experience then informs what data you're gonna have and you know how you're gonna actually analyze and shed insight onto what's happening with people within the company. So what are your thoughts? What are you seeing in the people analytics and or employee experience space?
0: So I think you know it's an interesting world, you know, on the people analytics side, you know, there's been a lot of what you would call point solution tools, right? Right. We have the Tableau's and you have the quick sites, and you have the Microsoft Power BI's, right? Those tools are powerful and they give us a lot of cool opportunities. And then you have a couple of solutions that were tailored towards HR like Vizier or OneModel and all those are really great tools as well. But none of them, I think at this point, have created an environment where HR feels like they can do everything they need to do without pulling out Excel at some point, right? <laughs> right. Sure. And this is, right, And, you know, I think we're getting closer to that and there's definitely, I think, a lot of push in some various vendors to really try and alleviate the need to pull the data out and do something with it and put it back in. But one of the things, you know, I think that we're seeing in our data is that, you know, we just haven't seen the numbers budge between those who are using people analytics tools It's been around 40% of the market who are leveraging them on a regular basis, right, for the last several years. It just hasn't grown dramatically. And I think part of that is because there isn't a connection right now to the business decisions being made every day. There's a connection to a project, like I want to improve engagement or I want to increase, you know, improve, you know, my recruiting numbers. There's a lot of focus on a specific thing maybe or a number that I want to change, but that how I run my business oftentimes, right?, doesn't feel like that seems to be coming from the HR analytics side of things, right? Mm. And that's an everyday conversation, not just something that happens once in a while. Now, the employee engagement conversation and the employee experience conversation is fitting into the market in a way where we're seeing a lot of those tools tracking just the simple activity of what employees are doing, right? Like, Where are they going on the web? What tools are they using on their desktop? What emails are they sending? How am I aggregating all of, you know, the calls that I'm making, all those kind of things, right? And that's capturing the picture of business, what's happening on a day-to-day basis, right? And so what I think really has to happen to make these two worlds work better, they are coming closer and closer. I think examples are where we're seeing some really interesting things go on with organizational network analysis and that kind of stuff, right? But I think what really has to happen is that the analytics tools have to figure out a way to capture that constant data that's being generated in the experience places, right? And give that data back to me in a way that I can make a decision on it, right? Mm -hmm. And until they can do that every day, every week in a way that is not just a project, then those two worlds always seem to be a little bit disconnected, if that makes sense, right? And I think that's the challenge yeah. we're seeing.
1: Well, and that challenge, and you've kind of answered my question, is therein lies a, an opportunity as well, yeah. right? That if you do bring them together, you will be able to better understand not only the employee experience, the underlying data by which to analyze it, and you can identify the customer of the insight, and they can have anticipate what's forthcoming because yeah. many in our discipline, people on the list that is, have gone with the big aha approach and you know yes. that just doesn't work <laughs> and and so again what would be your ideal future state in terms of people analytics and employee experience and hr systems do you see and this goes back to our governance you know conversation you know what's the ideal scenario there is is it similar starting with a business problem and then working back or you know what would you advocate
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, we ask a series of questions every year about, you know, what are you actually using your BI and analytics tools to accomplish inside the organization, right? And, you know, 56% last year basically said we're using it to manage compliance issues, right? And just, I think it was, I want to say 18% said we're using it to manage workforce productivity, right? (laughs) So, you know, I think it feels like it should be that I start with a business problem, right? Like that should be the right direction. And, and I'm not sure that I'm probably the right person to answer this question in totality because I think there are people who are out there doing this every day who actually will have some insight into what it looks like on the ground. But what I can tell you that I'm seeing from the data is that it isn't just about answering the one question about workforce productivity Or that tracking compliance is wrong, because that's still an important component of any kind of tracking. I think what it really comes down to in our data is how do decisions get made in your organization, right? And when we look at what we call data driven organizations, right, we have a series of things that we track. And not every organization who says they're data-driven is, right? Like, we don't actually ask them if they are. We do this based off of what metrics they're using in their HR reporting, and we do this based off of who actually gets access to the HR analytics tools in their organization, like what percentage of managers do. And what we have found is that if your organization is making decisions based on data, then data is in everything that they see, which means that it's available on their... Portal environments, you're embedding it in their operations screens, you're embedding it in their emails, you're making sure that data is in the places they are at when they need to make those decisions. And so I think that the right answer isn't where you start from, but where the data is at and how you're capturing the data. Mm. So what you have to really do is make sure that it's not a burden to get data from everybody on their skill sets figure out some way that it gets captured automatically in how they do their work, right? That it's not Mm -hmm. a burden to get clean and updated information on where employees live, right? That there's some value to them and knowing where they live. Maybe you send them a present every year. I don't know what it is, right? But the fact is, is that we have turned the gathering of data into a burden and then vice versa, we have turned how you access data into a burden. And so those two Challenges means that I just don't go and do it, right? Mm -hmm. And so no matter where you start from, if I can't get to it or if I'm not able to put the right information in, I can't answer the questions, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that's very well said. And it speaks to, you know, the fact that, Hey, there is an employee experience. And for attention to that, and it is overly cumbersome, that's going to compromise it. Therefore, we're not going to do it. We're going to find another way that takes creativity. You know, that takes some innovation. Sometimes it takes new tools. So no, I, I love the narrative you're putting forth. So there's one more theme that I want to touch on before we wrap up here. And that's one of well-being. you know, here we are, you know, in this state, people are stressed. There's a lot of anxiety. There are a host of tools that can help shed light into this. Some are, you know, passive data collection, like ONA tools, other are more overt, you know, like survey tools. What are you seeing or what do you think will emerge with well-being and employee listening and that type of thing?
0: The well-being conversation, right, sort of is a funny one because they don't make their money off of people being well, right? They make their money off of people consuming content, right? yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So, and get so, work done. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's an interesting conversation about, and I actually meant like the vendors who are selling and pitching those, right? Like they're okay. making money off of content being consumed and users, you know, sort of accessing it. And the employees are struggling because these tools aren't always designed in a way to sort of fit into their work environment, right? To fit into their, into their lives their their apps on their phones, or they're something that tells you to take five minutes out of your day or go do this activity, right? Or, you know, but what I'm most worried about right now is what doctors will actually accept me if I've got, you know, COVID symptoms, right? What I'm most worried about right now is, you know, if I'm being furloughed, how long is my healthcare last, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I think, this challenge of well being has been sort of in the world where we're in, it's been basically turned into a content conversation, right? And what it really needs to be turned into is a how does it actually help the employee feel well? It <laughs> sounds really silly, doesn't it,
1: right? No, no, it's, it's totally reasonable, it's, actually. It's, like, it's,
0: what are the stresses that are on my shoulders that I need to take yeah. care of? And I can promise you, as much as meditation is great, 10 minutes of meditation is not going to fix my issue if I've been furloughed,
1: right? Yeah, right, exactly.
0: So I think, you know, I think we need to rethink this industry a little bit. I think we need to think about it in terms of employees and what they're... Trying to achieve in their life. But I also think we need to take an opportunity to figure out if we get it right, the data that we'll get in return will be more valuable than we can imagine, right? Mm. And so I think the challenge right now is that the model, the business is based off of how much money we can make it off of content and reuse and activity. If we can change the dynamics where we're thinking about the value being off of what that data can share for us as a company and how we can make better decisions for the employees and how the employees themselves can make better decisions, the value of that, then maybe we'll invest in tools that actually help the employees and help them when they need it and where they need it. Yeah, sorry. No. A little cynical on this particular
1: problem. No, (laughs) I think you're just calling out a difficult balance. That is a real conversation between on the business side, you have, Business needs, you need to make money and service customers, and then you have, you know, the well-being needs. And oftentimes they're at stark contrast. And similarly, from an employee perspective, I would love to meditate and play beach volleyball all the day, but I have to work. You know, so you know, what is wellness actually look like for me as an individual? Does it look at a team level? I just know personally that it's important and yes. there is a responsibility for businesses. And HR specifically to help facilitate awareness and appropriate responses. I think Josh Burson has put forth a very eloquent narrative on not only the virtue but the good business sense of empathy and and looking out for employee and worker well being in general. It's just you know again it can get very esoteric to your point yes. <laughs> and and oftentimes it's not you know, aligned with the real priorities that, hey, you know, we got to save the business or we got to adjust significantly. So, you yeah. know, yeah, there is an end in there. There is a balance and it's just, a, you know, a discussion from your perspective that I wanted to spark up and <laughs> yeah, I it, did.
0: <laughs> it's, it's an interesting conversation. I think the for the market as a whole, that the tools aren't bad and what they're trying to accomplish is really good. I do think that we have to make sure that we are figuring out ways that the end users can leverage them to improve their lives, not just make us feel good because we've got 20 clicks right
1: yeah no yeah well said we'll yes. leave it at that mic drop <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well stacy it's always a pleasure speaking with you again i learned something today yeah. as i always do when we speak so i appreciate that you know again personally what you do as well as on behalf of the community if i may um how can people learn about this short little survey you got going
0: <laughs> thank you for calling it short i appreciate that you're welcome <laughs> We are probably not the shortest survey, but it is very easy to access. Just go to sierracedar.com and click on the research button. And right there is a page where you can sign up to participate. We will be launching the survey in the next two weeks for everyone. And everyone who participates gets a mini benchmark and they also get early access to the research And we also, if you are interested in, we also do a webinar in October at the same time that we deliver the presentation in Las Vegas. So those are all things that are made available to everybody who participates. But yeah, and if your community is interested in providing any feedback, I always love to hear insights on things people would like to know more about, what research elements were valuable. So we're very excited when we get feedback on the research as well. So that's a big part of the process. It's a community effort. It's not something that I sit in a room and Amy, who works with me, you know, we don't just sit there and say, oh, what questions are we gonna ask? We do a lot of sourcing of different communities and your community is one of them. So definitely, if you have any feedback for me, you can reach me at stacy.harris at sierracedar.com or you can reach me on LinkedIn as well and Twitter under Stacey Harris HR. So any of those ways, if you have a comment about the research, I'm happy to engage.
1: Outstanding. So. And we'll put all that information and links below. So again, Stacey, super appreciate you. Uh, you stay safe and well, and we'll talk S- soon, yeah?
0: You as well, thanks. Always a good time to have a conversation
1: with you. Yep. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.